Tonight is July 20th, I think, is that right? July 20th, 2016. The title for tonight's message is Rest for the Weary, which is exactly what we enjoyed during worship tonight, amen? I have to tell you that as the Lord is faithful to move in our midst all the time. And that may have been one of my personal favorite worship services in a while. That was just fantastic. Thank you to Peyton and the team for leading that. That's a, that's a difficult thing when your pastors keep going, no, we're just going to do this. Amen. He gets to lead on the fly. That was an incredible job by the worship team. Um, again, what we always commit to you is as we are pastors here, whoever the speaker is, we promise to engage you with what's been engaging with us during the week. That's our promise. That's our goal. That is our heart's desires that whatever scriptures that we share with you are driven from our personal experience with the Word of God this week, these last few days, or however long it's been since the last time we've gotten to speak. Please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25, and we're going to start off in verse 17. Say, there when you are there. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 25... And verse 17 says this, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out. Everybody say weary and worn out. They met you on your journey and cut off all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you. Everybody say rest. Who gives, who gives rest in this case? The Lord your God gives you rest. From all the enemies around you in the land He is giving you to possess as inheritance, you shall blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. Interesting, it even has an exclamation point on that. Do not forget. This is an important thing that I want you to understand because you need to remember that God is even going to blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And by the way, as I was studying uh, this afternoon, I was trying to, find, uh, trying to find anything about the Amalekites other than Scripture. There are plenty of historical references to the Amalekites, but they actually have zero, as far as the studying that I've done, they have zero artifacts. They have zero evidence that the Amalekites were there except that so many different nations reference it. The Lord will blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. We're going to go through, and it's, it's, it's uh, not surprising here. Can you guess how many confrontations, how many battles that the Amalekites had or were a part of against the children of Israel? Seven. You guys have been looking at my notes, haven't you? Okay. So let's talk about the Amalekites for a minute. Okay, what do we see here? We're seeing in the, in the Scripture, if we go back to verse 17 here, or verse 18, when you were weary and worn out. <laughs> the, name of this, the name of this group of people, uh, when you look into, this is from Bible dictionaries. I did not make this up. People that look up. They consume never-endingly. They keep consuming until there's nothing left to consume, right? This is, this is the name of, this is what this people, people group means. But what do they do here? 
They attack when you're weak. And I was thinking about it in all of the uh, uh, the kung fu movies that, I, that that you watch. You may not watch them. I actually like them. Okay, I, I like battle movies. I apologize. I'm sure that makes me less you know intelligent or something, but I really like them. And somehow in all these, especially the kung fu movies, you get there and the whole battle, you know, through Bruce Lee and all these guys, they're getting ready, and you have one main enemy, and the main enemy is there, but they're waiting. They're waiting until what? Until you get to be at your best. Right? The whole movie is being built up like, ah, you're not quite good enough. When you're the best you're ever going to be, you're going to face your number one enemy. Luke versus Darth Vader. There's, there's a collision course coming, and it's building an excitement, and then finally there's the collision, right? You know what this enemy does? He catches you when you're napping. He catches you when you're already worn out. He catches you when you're weak and you're tired and you're all ready to give up. And that's when he goes, ha, ha, now I'm going to come and get you. This is real life. Isn't that right? Don't, don't you wish that the enemy would come at you when you're at your best and you're feeling good and you've, you've prayed up and you've studied up and you're, you're at the apex of who you are? Oh, wait a minute. That's not how this works because God doesn't need you at the apex of who you are. Because we rest too much in our own strength when we're like that. No, I got this. No, don't worry. I got it. What this kind of enemy causes us to do is what? Cry out to the Lord. Hey, Lord, we need you to move in our life. These people also had this. They had no fear of God. Any reasonable person might handle it this way. But this enemy never factors that in. Do you realize that... that the bad guys in your life don't fight by a set of rules. When I was a high school principal, I always thought that was the most, that was the, the di most difficult part of what I did. It wasn't handling the, the high school kids. That was easy for me. Loved the high school kids. You're like, you're crazy. Yes. Yes, I am. Loved dealing with the kids. The teachers weren't, weren't that bad. It was the parents who could come in and say anything they wanted. I had a set of rules that I had to play by. As a professional and as a believer. So they could come in and say anything they wanted. I literally had a lady stand in front of me and was yelling because she knew, again, on a public school campus, she knew that someone was on campus and had a gun. No, no, ma'am. She was referencing something that she had heard from the day before. It wasn't true. I had investigated it. I called in the police. We worked together. We eliminated all doubt. There was not a gun. Just rumors. I know! I know! No, ma'am. She would ask me a question and then tell me how much I was lying. Well, what happened here? Well, actually, that's not truth. Here's what the truth is. You're lying! Ma'am, this is going to be a really short conversation. Because if you already know the answers, why are you asking me? Right? Back and forth. I'm going to call the local news. Yes, ma'am, you're welcome to do that. Here's their number. And here's the phone. Right? You, we're bound to a certain set of, of righteous standards. But the enemy doesn't seem to play by those standards, right? We have a fear of God. Our enemy doesn't have a fear of God. Right? What else? Uh, and and we're going we're gonna to see this in Exodus chapter 17 here in a minute. But this is a battle from generation to generation.
Let's turn to Numbers chapter 24 real quickly. And then we'll get on to the seven. Numbers chapter 24. Y'all with me? Y'all still just basking in the glory of the Lord here? It's very quiet in here. It's okay. I'm glad you're basking. I have. just want to make sure you're with me. Numbers chapter 24 and verse 20. We don't often turn to Balaam for a prophecy, right? But this is, this is what we're doing here in this case. Numbers chapter 24, verse 20. Then Balaam saw Amalek and uttered his oracle. Amalek was first among the nations. I have to be honest with you, because um, there are so many Bible scholar uh, students in here. There's a little bit of a problem where they're not quite sure where Amalek came from. I'm going to tell you what I think here in a minute. But this passage says Amalek was first among the nations. Either primary or in order, sequentially first. But he will come to ruin at last. Okay? So some people are trying to figure out where Amalek came from because Esau has a grandson named Amalek. But there are hints that the Bible has before Esau even comes on the scene that there was the land of the Amalekites that was there. But here's what, here's what you can know from when you're studying the Scripture. If they were something else before and they got named after Esau's grandson, which is actually the way that I think this was, we're talking about one group of people. You can go throughout the Bible, and these characteristics are there with every group of people that carries this name. Okay? So let's turn to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis 14. Genesis chapter 14, and we're going to start. Let's start in verse 8. Uh, I'm sorry, let's start in verse 5. In the 14th year, Chedorlaomer and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Rephaites in Ashtoreth, Carnaim, the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in Sheva, Kiraithim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran. That, that last one probably came out more southern Louisiana than I intended it to. Paran, yeah. Near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh. And they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites, as well as the Amorites, who were living in Hazazon Tamar. So what we get here in Genesis 14 is the first understanding of what we have here. And these guys right here in the Amalekites, they're really just a part, uh, part of the background, sorry, the background of this story. They're just, they're just in the background. We see they're just, they're just slightly connected to this, where the kings, this is where Abram comes out later with the 318 trained men, and he goes in and rescues Lot. We know this story, right? So we come here, and these guys are kind of in the background. Um, I'm not a computer guy. I can turn on a computer. I can pretend like I know what I'm doing and turn it off later. But there are some things, there are some parts of your computer that just kind of run in the background, right? They're on, but they're not the primary focus. Sometimes we have this enemy, and we're going to show seven different ways that it, it manifests in our lives. Sometimes these things are just running in the background. 
They're there, but they're really periphery. They're not the main part of what's going on. You're having difficulties. It's there. It's an enemy and you know it, but it's not the main thing that you're dealing with today. Just kind of an ongoing thing. Okay? Let's turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. Starting in verse 8. By the way, if you aren't here, if you're not, if you're a part of our church and you're not faithful to attend foundations, I encourage you to make that a, a priority in your life if you are able. We studied Exodus 17 extensively um, over the past few weeks and few months. And so I'm not going to try to dig into that level of depth tonight, but I am going to try to get this part of the story in so that we can be encouraged by it. Verse 8, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. What is, does anyone remember what the word Rephidim means? Huh. So, the Amalekites came and attacked God's people at a place that was designed for restings. Not just a singular place of rest, but a place of ongoing resting. That's kind of a low blow, isn't it? You ever had to deal with problems on your vacation? Get to a vacation and you just have a lot of difficulties. Or, or what about maybe your, um, maybe your person and, and birthdays are a big deal to you. And you have to just do a lot of work on your birthday. Right? If you're like Natalie Moluck, she gets like a month-long birthday every year. I don't know how this works. It's your fault. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, it's at least a weekend, probably more like a week, and that's just because she's whittled it down from, this is my birthday month. Wow. That's awesome. Right? I'm the one that kind of forgets what my birthday is. So, you know, I, but when you have to do something, when you have to have a battle, when you should be resting, there's something particularly draining about that. You came home and you thought you were going to get to relax and the air conditioning's out in your house. Calling up mom, finding a hotel, <laughs> something so you can actually rest, right? So the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Well, of course they did. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. This is the type of enemy. This is the first enemy that these people have to face. The first external enemy that they're having to face after they came out of, the, out of Egypt, out of, after they came out of the Red Sea. First, first enemy. Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. The staff of God. The word there in the Hebrew is 4294, Mata, M-A-T-T-A-H. Like, what's the matter with you, right? That's not what it means at all. I'm just... Mata. It's a mighty container of God's revelation. It's God's standard that He's holding, right? I'm going to try not to veer off into all that. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. As long as you can hold up the righteous standard of God, the victory was in hand. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him. Can I encourage you? I mean, some of this is not really difficult to comprehend, right? Here's, here's the secret formula. Your hands stay up, we win. When they start to droop, we start to lose. 
well, just hold up the staff then. Um, <laughs> when, I was, when I was in college, um, I was drum major at my university, and one of the in, in, uh, initiation things that they would do to drum majors is we had to stand and hold a clipboard with the music so the directors could teach the music in, in our preseason week. School hadn't even started yet. So my job was to stand there with a the clipboard over my head like this for about eight hours a day. Clipboard doesn't, I mean, that weighed nothing, right? And I stood there, and hour one, rock solid. <gasps> hour two, uh, rock solid. <laughs> After a while, your arms are trembling. The director's just using it like you're a podium, right? You're just moving around, you're trying to get there. After a while, that's just tough. Arms are hurting, your chest is hurting, your shoulders are hurting. There's something about this. When Moses' hands grew tired, what I, one, of the, one of the many things that I love about the Bible, it is, is so real and it shows us where we are. Sometimes it's not that we don't know what to do, right? Sometimes it's that our hands grow tired. I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. I know exactly how I'm supposed to treat my wife. I do. And you know what? Sometimes I don't do it very well. Because sometimes my hands grow tired. It's not that I intentionally look for ways not to honor my wife, not to love my wife. I just get a little tired sometimes. And the Bible clearly points this out. When Moses' hands grew tired, really in us, what causes us to get tired? We're weakened by what? We're weakened by a sinful nature. What we want to do, the Bible says sometimes I don't do it. The things I don't want to do, sometimes I do that. This is Paul. This is him talking to us in the New Testament saying, look, and it's the Apostle Paul. I just got to be honest with you. Sometimes I don't always get this right. And we see it all the way back here in Exodus as he's fighting with the Amalekites. They took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. You know what sometimes we need to do? If we're getting tired, you know what we need to do? We need to have a realignment in our lives. We need to have a place where we can sit and get some realignment. And what did he sit on? He sat on the rock. He sat on the picture of a perfected Christ and what he did. That solid rock that he was able to sit on and reposition what was going on. And then what did that allow? As his hands were up, it allowed Aaron and her, one on either side of him, to actually help and hold his hands high. Aaron and her held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. You know why it's important to be in a body of believers? Because you're going to have enemies that can wear you out, and if you don't, especially in your place of resting, you might need someone else to just hold your hands up. That was actually the, this was exactly the passage as I was reading through this this afternoon that I thought about the Stevens family. And that's, the truth is, is as Matt, Pastor Matt and I were talking, that's why we start off tonight in prayer. Lord, we're not there. I miss my friend. I love him. I miss, I miss the family. How can we stand here in Sugarland and hold their hands up there in Crystal Lake, Illinois? Oh, we can do that in prayer. 
Can't be there physically, but we can do that spiritually. We can stand, reestablish ourselves on a stone, on the rock of Christ. Verse 13. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites, the Amalekite army with the sword. Can I just encourage you with something I haven't seen before? Moses, he sat on the stone. And Joshua, he won, Moses won with a stone and Joshua won with a sword. Here's, here's what I, I hadn't caught until tonight or until this afternoon. Whether you're one who walks in authority and you need to realign your life according to the Word of God, or whether you're out there in the battleground, you still have to realign yourself with the Word of God. They both really won, one with a stone, one with a sword, but it really is, in the Bible, both of these are pictures of the Word of God. I, let me encourage you, if you're, if you're lacking restings in your life, you need to realign yourself. This is what this story helps to tell us. There's a lot more to this story. There's so much more that's beautiful. I have 50 other scriptures written here in my Bible that we could go to. I'm not going to go to them. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. You know why Joshua needed to, he needed to make sure that Joshua heard it? Because Joshua was busy fighting the battle. Um, I can be sometimes really bad at telling my wife information. Somebody will tell me something, I'm like, awesome! I should tell my wife that! And then, as soon as I turn the other direction, it's gone. It vanishes. And we will get somewhere later, and she's like, um, how was your day? It was great. Anything interesting happened? It was great. Is there anything you need to tell me? No, it was great. And then she'll overhear a conversation. I'm on the phone with Pastor Matt or something. Hey, don't forget about this. And she's like, whoa. <laughs> uh, excuse me? Oh, yeah, I invited everybody in the church over to our house today. I forgot to tell you. My bad. <laughs> and she's great. And just she just, <laughs> amen, husband, thank you. Oh, great husband for seven and a half minutes of prep time, right? These things happen. See, Moses was much better than I am. Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it. What the Lord is doing in your life when you start to overcome enemies, sometimes you just need to write it down so you can remember it later on. Make sure you share it with the people so that they can help rem remind you when it's necessary. <laughs> Don't be like me and forget to tell important things to those that matter. Amen? because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. Yahweh Nisi. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. It's, it's hard not to dive deeper into this story because there's so many beautiful parts of it. But let's go on. Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 12. <clears throat> we talked about Athenial a few weeks ago. 
We're moving on from that story literally to the next part. Verse 12, Once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Wow. Once again. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel. At first, they're in the background. Then they start attacking us at our place of restings. Then what happens? <laughs> then they start joining with others. Your problems start to, to keep growing if you, unless you can take care of them early on. There's always going to start to be added on. That's the biggest thing. The older I get, I thought, I, I thought that I would be able to figure things out better. It's just that the problems in life seem to get more complicated. It's not, well, this is easy. Yes, I'll do this. No, I won't do this. It's, well, if I do this here, that impacts this group of people this way, but it impacts my family this way, but it impacts these people over here this way, and it impacts me personally in an entirely different way. The problems start joining with other problems, don't they? Doesn't that make sense? These, this is how these things progress. Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. City of Palms, by the way, Jericho. Another name for the city of Jericho. The Israelites were subject to King uh, to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. <laughs> These guys were able to join forces and put God's people under a hindrance for 18 years until a left-handed guy came along with his sword named Ehud and took care of that king in a very interesting way. You're welcome to read that on your own. Turn to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. This story should be much more familiar to us. Verse 33, if you would. Judges 6.33, it says this, Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. He sent messages through Manasseh, calling them to arms and also into Asher, Zebulun, and Nathali, so that they too went up to meet them. Look over in chapter 7 and let's look at verse 12. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley as thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sands on the seashore. Wow. So we get here, this is a story of Gideon. We know that he picks, that the Lord hand-selects 300 men. Right? The mighty 300. They had trumpets in one hand and pitchers with candles in the other hand. They blew trumpets. And the entire, this entire army of Midianites, Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples that were around army somewhere in the neighborhood of 135,000 people that were in this valley. 300 people, because of God's command, defeated what seemed to be their forces were overwhelming. Have you just felt overwhelmed before? <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Matt. <laughs> He's the only one. It's okay. We'll pray for him. It'll be all right. 
Have you ever felt just overwhelmed? You get up to do something and you're like, I, I, I don't even know where to start. I, uh, I don't know. This is too much for me to handle. That's what makes this story so interesting is God is whittling Gideon's army down from 32,000. He was already 32,000 against about 135,000. You're already outnumbered four to one. Let's just go four to one. So he keeps whittling it down till it's 300 against the same 135,000. Whatever those ratios are. Not even interested in knowing what that is. 450 to 1. Amen. I felt in places in my life where I felt like the things that I was supposed to do, it might as well have been me having to fight 450 people by myself. I felt that way before. Lord, all you want me to do is have a great marriage, raise incredible kids, serve you wholeheartedly, function well at my job, lead other people, go out and evangelize somewhere, keep reading my Bible, keep praying wholeheartedly, never let my eyes wander, run after you with all that I have. Lord, I, I really want to do all of those things. Um, I'm not sure I can get out of bed right now. <laughs> I can't quite breathe. <laughs> Aren't you glad that even though we have an enemy that feels this way, God has handcrafted a way for us to defeat him? Handcrafted. The Lord doesn't need you at your best. He doesn't need you at your strongest. This kind of enemy always comes in when you're weakest. He always comes in when you're at your weakest. Let's turn to First uh, Samuel 15. First Samuel chapter 15. You guys remember what it said in Deuteronomy chapter 25? That the Lord were gonna, he wanted to blot them out from the face of the earth. He wanted to even blot out their memory. Look in verse in chapter 15, let's start in verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up out of Egypt. They're referencing back to Exodus 17, which we read through. Isn't that funny? The Bible says they waylaid them. Wow. It was not a small thing when... Moses said, hey, Joshua, let's gather some men and go out and fight these people. Because God's people were weak and they were worn out. And the enemy's coming in. And God himself, can I encourage you that whatever difficulties you're fighting, that the God of all creation takes note of these things? He's going to put these enemies underneath where? Our feet. He is going to put these things underneath our feet. The sicknesses that you're battling with. The discouragements that you battle with. The, as you're trying to do Lord I even know what you're trying to tell me and I'm trying to run after this and I'm still just this opposition that's constantly there God is going to there will be a reckoning I can encourage you I can, I can tell you the truth let me encourage you tonight don't stop don't stop in doing what God has called you to do because He is going to bring a reckoning to every situation we are more than conquerors in Christ what, what is more than a conqueror? 
Have you ever thought about that? We're more than a conqueror. Amen. I'm more than a conqueror. That means I win. And I win. <laughs> it means I win and I keep a great attitude while I'm doing it. It means that I've won because of His power and I stood firm. I stood the test of time. I did not give in. I did not give up. I did not back down. I did not shut up. I kept going forward in exactly what God called me to do. My wife and I have been talking to couples, not in this church, family members, um, uh, work associates of mine that have been struggling in their marriage. The husband and wife are having very, very difficult times in about four different settings in our life. feels like every call, every text that we make that's not people here at this church, we're dealing with marriages that are either on the verge of breaking, they're splitting up, they're doing all these things. This is what the Sutherlands are dealing with outside, um, just as our normal offering as a Sutherland family. And so we hear this, and you know the one thing that we keep hearing from these women? And I'm not belittling them. They're saying, we're tired of fighting. We're tired of having to try and to do something, and for it, we're afraid that it's just not going to be anything different. We're just tired of fighting. And I, I keep in my, in my heart, I see this is, this is overwhelming, but I'm going... Your problems have all, they're all fit for destruction. They're fit for destruction. God wants to destroy those things in you, but He wants to use you to do it. I've literally told people in the last week, hey, I love you. But what you're telling me now, you do not have a biblical reason to divorce. I know you're not going to like me when I say that, but you do not have a reason. Let me encourage you to find what God is telling you and keep fighting for your family. These are the real-life discussions that we've been having because people are getting overwhelmed and they don't realize that their enemy, they're supposed to be put under their feet. Back to 1 Samuel 15, verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up out of Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Um, totally destroy. I am a simple person. I like it when God makes things clear. Totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys, dogs and cats, little bitty baby fish, whatever's there, wipe it all out. Geez, that sounds kind of harsh there, God. Um, is it harsh if you remember that they've been in the background the whole time? Is it harsh if, they, if you remember that they attacked his own people when they should have had a place of restings, that they attacked them when they were weak and worn out, that they were joining with other enemies, that they became an overwhelming force? Does, if God is saying he wants to put this enemy completely under your feet, he wants to totally take care of this problem for now and forever in your life. He wants it to be done and done. He wants you to be more than a conqueror. But here's the way that you have to do it. You have to completely annihilate it from your life. How about we trust that His way is perfect and that He is just and righteous in everything He does? It's when we allow things to stick around a little bit we know the rest of this story. We go through and Saul, what does he do? He keeps, this instruction is very clear. 
But what he does is he keeps the king. In Josephus, in some of the writings of ancient historians, they say it's because the king was tall and good-looking. So Saul decided to keep the king and the choicest of cattle and sheep and different things. And we get to the end of the chapter, and Samuel's like, what are you doing? I've done everything the Lord's told me to do. <laughs> no, you haven't. You ever know those people who just kind of ignore reality? I won't even make this a political statement. <laughs> just, just the people who ignore reality. You're like, I, I'm not a person who ever does that. Everybody around him is going, that's all you do. As a matter of fact, I've never seen you not do what you just said. You never do. Eh, we're not going to worry about reality, right? Saul is trying to ignore reality and say, I did what God told me to do, even though he did not, because God was planning on destroying the people. One of my favorite verses in the Bible that's spoken to me so many times, I, I can't even recount it at this point, is 1 Samuel 15, 22. Look at it. We're right here. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. At least in my life, there are, there are a lot of different things that the Lord has taught me about this passage. I'm not going to dig into it super, uh, a super amount right now. My, the philosophy of my life, I did not know that it was, but what I was doing showed that I thought that if obedience is good, then sacrifice is even better. That's the way that I interpreted trying to please God. If obedience is good, then sacrifice must be better. If He's calling me to do this, calling me to go help someone, well, if I help someone and create a system to help lots of people, wouldn't that be better? No, it's not. We are required. For us to defeat this enemy, we have to walk in exactly what God has called us to do. That's why he says we don't have to compare ourselves one with another. Right? I don't, I'm not running the same race that Alex is. I'm, I've not been assigned the same task to do as we're both running this race. I don't have to fulfill Alex's calling. I'm supposed to fulfill what God has called me to do. It's so freeing. It's so freeing to be that way. To know I don't have to compare myself to anybody. But I am going to have to compare myself against the standard of what Christ has set for me. It's freeing here, but it's, it's, sometimes it's deathly, it makes me deathly afraid here. Lord, because I don't have to compare myself to anybody, I have to keep constantly going back to your standard. Amen? Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. So Saul does not eliminate this enemy. First Samuel chapter 30 and verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it. So David and his men were out fighting while they're out fighting and taking care of what they're supposed to, the enemy came back around and started kidnapping their own people. 
They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. Verse 3, When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. When you do the will of the Lord, and something happens to your own family, can I tell you that that can be incredibly discouraging? There, are, there is many a man, there is many a woman that stops in their relationship with the Lord. You know why? Because we expect that when we do something good, that God is like a, a, a candy machine. And we put a quarter in, and we turn the dial, and candy comes out. I put my 25 cents of obedience worth it, I say my few prayers, and candy is supposed to pop out of it. Let me encourage you, that is not the way the real world works. That is not the way that a believer, that you should set that expectation. I did what I was supposed to. What are you going to give me, God? Okay, I did what I was supposed to. What are you going to give me? I sacrificed here. I went on the mission field and I sacrificed. Don't I deserve when I get home to have to be treated like a king or a queen? Well, I sacrificed for the Lord here. I gave away something that was pretty important to me. Shouldn't God restore me in that? He doesn't owe you anything. We owe Him our obedience. We owe Him our everything. And if He chooses not to do a thing for you, I promise He's already done enough. I promise that He's already done enough to, work, to merit worship from you for the rest of your days. If He allowed you to get saved at all, done. Now we know that He's a good Father, but there's something about... Um, let, let me ask you this. Uh, have you, In your workplaces, have anybody ever gotten a bonus for something? Extra paycheck. A bonus, right? What happens when you get a bonus every year at Christmas? You expect to get a bonus every year at Christmas. As a matter of fact, you start spending the money in your head before you get the bonus. And they're very careful to say, this is a bonus, not a salary. There's no promise that'll be here. And you know what you're going? Better be the same amount as I got last year. Because now the bonus is an expected part of my salary. And I live that way to, to get that. So when they change the bonus on you, I've had that happen. I was a school teacher, and so they would try to do their best to give us a little blessing. And the first couple of years, it was like a hundred bucks. I was a school teacher, man. That's a lot of money. <laughs> like, I can get my kids presents. Jesus. And then the, then the third year that I was there, it went down to like $25 gift card. I was so mad. I was mad at a blessing. Because I expected more than what they were able to give me. Are we getting mad at blessings that God has given us because we've actually set our expectations too high? I've been so obedient to you, Lord. Amen. Good. It's good for you to be obedient. Just keep being obedient. Because if you set the wrong expectations on that, even when God is doing something good for you, you start to speak against the very one who's, been, who's showing you kindness. This is what happens to David. They are fighting the enemy. They are warriors on behalf of God. 
They are going out accomplishing God's will on the earth, using their bare hands to do it. And the enemy came in and took their wife and their kids and their puppies and their, they took them all. Verse 3, when David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. I love the Bible. It doesn't say, yay, they stood bold and marched forward. They went, oh my God! They were crushed. You ever been crushed before? I have. I've jumped out there with all the obedience that I had. I laid it all on the line, and then I had to give more. And I was like, I don't have anything left to give. Uh, (laughs) Lord, I'm done. I I gave you all that I had. I, I didn't keep anything back. Yes, and now there's more required of you. It's good for us. It is good for you to have to go through these periods. When we moved to Austin, we couldn't sell our house. We were we were twelve hundred to fifteen hundred dollars upside down every month because of my household in Louisiana and my new living place in Austin. The amount of money that I made, I was twelve hundred dollars short every month. Hey, I'm doing the will of the Lord, and I was. Absolutely walking in the dead center will of my Lord. And I was losing ground every month. Had my wife not had an accident in a vehicle in which everyone was fine and the vehicle was totaled, we were sinking financially. And it was good for me. Hated it. Hated it. Absolutely hated it. Grown man working 80 hours a week and couldn't stop at the, at the gas station to get a drink. Didn't have enough money to stop and get a dollar Coke from McDonald's. And you know what? It was good for me because you know what it showed me? I was expecting all those little things. I was expecting all those bonuses to really be part of what God was supposed to give me because I was being obedient. It showed me, it showed me the fallacy in my own heart about my pure obedience to Him. He's so good to me. He was so gracious to show me that. You're not going to trust me because you don't have enough numbers in a bank account? Really? That's where you're going to draw the line with me? I was like, oh, no, that's not what I meant. I repent before you, Lord. These men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured. Ahinoam of Jezreel, which, by the way, is the valley where Gideon had to fight, right? And Abigail, huh? the widow of Nabal of Carmel. Ahinoam, the name Ahinoam means brother of pleasantness. It means graciousness. It means kindness. You know what's easy to be stolen from your life? when you're in despair? I mean, maybe you never do this. But sometimes I get in a funky mood. Something will happen at the house and I just start barking at everybody in the house. Shh, be quiet. Dad's in a funky mood. That's right, you need to be quiet. Might punish you or something. Right, everybody walks around on eggshells because Dad's Dad's just mad. Nobody's quite sure what dad's mad at. 
because I'm not going to tell her. <laughs> you should, right? Sometimes I get in a little bit of a funky mood when I get in there. One of the first things to be stolen from us is our pleasantness and our kindness and our graciousness. And you know what Abigail means? It's the cause of my joy or my father rejoices. When the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 8 that the joy of the Lord is our strength, the enemy likes to come in and not only deal with our expectations, but he tries to steal those parts of us like our joy. He tries to steal your very source of strength is what he tries to do. He tries to steal, steal your kindness and your grace towards other people. Keep reading. <clears throat> David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Well, I'm sure they were. <laughs> we go fight with you. You know what happened? Our whole family gets all messed up. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength in the Lord his God. Had anything changed when David had found his strength? Or did he just find strength in the Lord? He's there. Not only is his wife and his kids gone, but David is there and all the men want to kill him. They are bitter in spirit. And you know what it says? But David found strength in the Lord. What are you going through? Are you having to fight for your family? Are you going through a difficult time? Maybe you need to be like David and find strength in the Lord your God. Maybe you need to understand that it's not about some... Uh, kindness that He needs to show you, but that we need to find strength in Him. We need to yield ourselves and say, Lord, this is about You. And You are righteous and You are just. And every difficulty that I go through, I will simply act and turn it into a gift before You. The harder the situation, the bigger the gift that I get to give. Because what I'm not going to do is stop and I'm not going to accuse You of falsehood. Verse 7, Then David said to Abathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Uh-oh. Abathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? David found strength in the Lord, and then you know what he did? He went and sought the Lord. He went into the try to find the very presence of God. Lord, what do you want me to do about this? Lord, what's your plan for me? Um, let me encourage you folks. If we were all better at going to the ephod and inquiring of the Lord properly it could save some of us a lot of missteps. Going off in a direction that, that, that we just decided to do something. Well, it sounded good to me at the time. I thought this was a great plan, and then it falls apart. And then what do you do? You're like, Ugh, perhaps I should go inquire of the Lord, right? There are some things that are going on in our lives here, and really, if we go inquire of the Lord, He'll share, you, he'll share with you what the answer is. That's been the theme for the last two weeks. Basically, every service that we've had the last two weeks has been, find the will of the Lord and do it. There's a big old summary for you. Whether it's adopting a child that, you weren't, that wasn't even on your radar ten days ago, whatever it is, find the will of the Lord. He wants to tell you His will. Go ask Him about it. Go pursue Him. Go seek Him. But He's not talking to me. Well, go ask Him again. Do not give up. Uh, uh, it says, will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Ravine, where some stayed behind. For 200 men were too exhausted to cross the ravine. Wow. 
<laughs> Incredible story that, that, let's skip down to verse 16. In honor of a certain wedding here, we see that an Egyptian comes and saves the day in the story. Come on, Egyptian. Verse 16, our Egyptian friend led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. He was already tired. His people were already worn out. They were tired in spirit. You know what they did? They kept fighting. And none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything. Say it with me. Recovered everything. Yeah. The Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing. In case you missed the verse before, when it said that he recovered everything, he's saying, oh yeah, by the way, nothing was missing. Young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else that they had taken, David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. When you go through, you find out that they even shared the plunder with the 200 that had stayed behind. That when God restores and takes from the enemy to give to His people so that nothing is left behind, like when the, Egypt, uh, when the Israelites are trying to leave Egypt and Moses says to Pharaoh, we're not going to leave a hoof behind. You don't have to worry about the recompense that God has for you. I promise you that He will take good care of you. Most of us mess up in our relationships because we just don't have enough faith in the other person that we're talking to. If I actually have faith in Pastor Matt when I'm talking to him, then I can let my guard down and we can have an honest conversation. If I'm worried that he won't value me, if I'm worried that he doesn't see how great I am, if I'm worried about all these things, and you know what happens? We start posturing to each other and we don't have real conversations. You know what happens when we feel the same way about the Lord? We don't actually ever have a real conversation with the Lord. Because we're worried that somehow, yes, we know He's omnipotent and awesome and incredible, but you know what? I'm not quite sure that He's going to take care of me in this situation. Somehow when it says that those who put their hope in the Lord will never be put to shame, I don't actually think that that applies to me. Because if I hope in Him, I'll never be put to shame. Ever. Ever. It's not possible. So how are you doing? Are you, do you believe that God can cause you to have nothing missing? you believe you can go and to, and to take and defeat an enemy here that may have taken all these things from you and you're able to stand there and because of his righteousness and because of the boldness that he gives you, you can walk in and defeat the enemy and crush him. Man. Let's turn to uh, Let's turn to Psalm 119. We're just going to rush through a few scriptures and then come to a closing point. As in quick succession here. By the way, the seventh one is in 1 Chronicles chapter 4 during the reign of King Hezekiah where they eliminate the Amalekites that were left in that region. Psalm 119 in verse 28, says this, My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. How does the Lord strengthen us? According to His word. 
That's how He strengthens you. He gives us His presence like He does tonight. Tonight during the worship time, it felt, uh, the only way I know how to explain it if, for other people who aren't here, I'm going to say it feels like, it felt like summer camp. You know, on the night when they do the Holy Spirit at the summer camp, that's what it felt like. So that's just Wednesday night worship. What, well, what? My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Listen to this. Be gracious to me through your law. We know as a church there's not an Old Testament God and a New Testament God. One that was judgment, and now he's full of grace. You see this word in Psalm 119, written <laughs> 1000 B.C.? Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. He's gracious to us through his word, not in spite of his word. It's through that. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. Get to the prophet here. Jeremiah 31, verse 23. <clears throat> Jeremiah 31, 23. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says, when I bring them back from captivity, the people in the land of Judah and its towns will once again use these words. The Lord bless you, O righteous dwelling, O sacred mountain. People will live together in Judah and all its towns. Farmers and those who move about in their flocks. I will refresh the weary and satisfy the faint. Whew. Matthew chapter 11. From the law, prophet, and writing in the Old Testament, we're going to do likewise in the New. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Very familiar passage. says this, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 3. Actually, let's start in verse 2. Revelation 2, 2 says this. I know your deeds. This is Jesus Christ Himself speaking. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have preserved and have endured hardships for My name, and you have not grown weary. I want this to be said about me. You've done what it takes. You've tested these men and you've proclaimed your findings. It's not just you've tested them and you found it and kept it to yourself. You tested it and it was like a news blast that you put out that these men who say they're apostles are not. You've tested it and you speak it out. You found it. You've done exactly what I've asked you to do. You've endured hardships. You've persevered and you have not grown weary. That's incredible. You've not backed down. You've not allowed a physical fatigue to pull you down. Most of the time, physical is the easiest part. That's the easiest weariness to get over. Right? When you're weary in your emotions, if you're like David and their men, if you've cried until you have nothing left to cry, aren't you exhausted after that? If you've had an emotional day at work, what happens? You go home and you're like, I just want to sleep. 
because our emotions, our mind, when our mind is racing, if your mind is racing all night and you can't really sleep well, there's no exhaustion quite like those things. When we've persevered and endured hardships for Christ's name and not grown weary, you know what it means? It means he's given you rest. It means you can calm your emotions, you can calm your mind because you're walking and you're allowing him to renew your mind. You're not becoming overwhelmed with details and circumstances in your life. How am I going to? But what about? But (laughs) don't grow weary. Don't allow yourself to be dominated by these things. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Let's start in verse 9. Uh, let's go back to verse 7. <clears throat> Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Wow. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destru- destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Can I just encourage you, church? Do not become weary in doing good. None of us should be hanging our heads. None of us should have downcast spirits. Why why does your face downcast? You read through the Psalms. Why so downcast, O my soul? Oh, I must put my hope and my trust in Him. Let us not become weary in doing good. You know why the Word tells us this? Because we get weary in doing good sometimes. Like Moses, whose arms got tired while he was doing the right thing, it is possible for us to become weary while we're doing the right thing. God gave us refreshing tonight. He said, I will pour, I will let it rain on you. Whatever you need from the Lord, He is here to provide it for us. And so let me encourage you with this last thought. Don't become weary in doing good. When the emotions of His Spirit being upon you, when that settles down, I was kidding around about the camp, but at the end of it, I took many a kid to a kid's camp or to a youth camp. And everybody gets there and they all feel in the power of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And they all want to hug each other. And we love the Lord. We love you. We love our moms and dads. Great. And then the emotions wear off, and by the next morning, they're very similar to what they were before that powerful service. Don't be weary in doing good. Don't come into a service like we've had tonight and experience the power of God and allow yourself to fall back into the same rut that you were in before. I had a friend who used to say that a rut is just a grave with both ends kicked out. It's like, oh. Get out of the rut that you're in. God has already done everything that we need. He's already blessed us tonight. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, everybody say proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. How do you reap the harvest? Don't give up. 
you realize that when you plant a seed, it takes a while before it grows and you actually get a harvest? There's probably very few farmers in here. There might be some. I'm going to say there's probably few. Planting seeds, that's a difficult part. That's just the first step. And you have to weed it. You have to work the soil. It's backbreaking work. There's never a day off. You know what? You reap a harvest if you don't faint, if you don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. <laughs> you know how you keep yourself from giving up? The Bible is full of examples of what we need we're supposed to be for other people. He says, don't give up. And he says, let us do good for all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. <laughs> but I'm already tired. Yes. See how you can serve someone else. See how you can die to your own self and serve someone as an offering unto the Lord. Lord, I'm not going to give up. You know how I'm more than a conqueror? Not only can I do what I need, but I can even do it with a smile. I can even encourage my friend while I'm doing it. I can even bless those around me. It's not just God's will for me. I understand that I'm a part of a family, so I'm going to do mine, my part, and then I'm going to bless my brothers and my sisters while I do it. Let's stand to our feet.